It's transfer portal season. The frogs aren't immune to seeing people walk out the door, but will anybody be walking in through it? Plus, the NCAA president is proposing what seems to be a Super League, and women's hoops and men's hoops stay undefeated for the Horn Frogs. They're one of just four programs in the country that can say that right now. All that and more on this episode of Frogs Insider. Welcome into Frogs Insider. James Hunter here alongside Melissa Trebwasser. As always, we are the TCU podcast for the Republic of Football Network. Dave Campbell's Texas Football's excellent football network that has a podcast for every Division I football team in the state of Texas. Very proud to be a part of this network. If you're listening, you probably already know that we're part of that network. Um, if you're listening, you've probably already found our podcast feed somewhere in the lexicon of podcast feeds usually Um, how these things work normally that's how this works if you've already listened unless you maybe clicked on a link through social media do you took a chance thank you for being here um go find us in your in your podcast supplier of choice and hit that subscribe button leave us a rating and review we would really really appreciate it uh shout out as well to homefield apparel and Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods are two magnificent show sponsors. Uh, they both ran some phenomenal, phenomenal Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals yeah. for Horn Frog fans. And um, <clears throat> Melissa, I didn't put this in my notes just now, but I did want to mention this to you. I got a text from our dear friend, the founder of Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods today. And it was a little screenshot. And let me see if I can pull it up really quickly. There's a screenshot of a message that he got on the website when someone made a purchase and it said ordered from you before, but see you on Twitter and hear you on Jamie and Melissa's show all the time. Love your stuff. That's what we like to hear. That's so what we love to hear. Listen, thank you. I didn't get a name for who that person was, but shout out to you. If you're listening we to love this you. episode, you, rock. you are. we love you. And to those of you who are thinking, Hmm, Maybe I'll go to hellshalfacresg.com and order some TCU merch. Leave a note in your purchase yeah. order that says, hey, was listening to the Frogs Insider podcast. Um, because we just want to make sure that we are doing a good job of promoting that excellent, excellent brand. Hell's Half Acre, you mentioned their Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals. They also are running some special Christmas promos. I know they were doing 35% yes. off all the script mm-hmm. frogs. Uh, Homefield always does a 12 days of Christmas. Uh, today was, uh, as we're recording this, which I think is, I have no idea. I think it's Tuesday. It's been that kind of week. Today is Tuesday, yes. Cool. Um, they did their mystery box t-shirts. Um, I think mystery box fleeces are coming up too. That's always a great deal. So um, the savings do not stop at Hell's Half Baker and or Home Field Apparel. Um, so if you're looking for some Christmas gifts, hey, it's college decision time. Uh, TCU early decisions came out on Friday. Both of my early de- decision applicants got in. Let's We've go. got two new home frogs or uh, horde frogs coming from St. Francis. You We're waiting on early action. I got, I think, 20-something more kids waiting on early action decisions next Friday. If you mm-hmm. want to get those, if you want to celebrate the future horn frog in your life, this is a great time to do it. You can get great, uh, great TCU gear from our friends at Hellas Half Baker and uh, Hopefield Apparel. If you're if you have a child going to a school that's not TCU, um, I'm sorry you tried your best as a parent, but um, you can find a lot of other wonderful schools through uh, Hopefield Apparel as well. I don't know. Maybe they're saving a buck or two and sending their kid to Harvard. I don't know. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> hey, those decisions come out next week too. I, I got I got two waiting on that. So. Uh, oh my gosh. But yeah. They, yeah, it's it's wow. this is a tough time to be a high school teacher. The the first two weeks of December and um all of April. Just a really tough time to be a high school teacher if you're invested in the uh, future of your students. So. Other than those other than those six weeks, I've heard it's smooth sailing though, right? Other so. yeah, other than that, absolutely <laughs> listen, I, I can't even talk about some of the things that went on today that are I, I'm just I'm emotionally destroyed already. Just like oh, don't be a high school teacher. It's there's a lot going on. There's always That's a lot tough. going on. Don't it's do it. Tough. Find it's a hard job. That. Yeah. You know what else is you know what else is a hard job? Oh, oh I have I bet you I think I know where you're going with this one, JV. What is, uh, what is that? I would say college football coaches in December have an equally I, challenging time to I thought you were gonna say moderating a two four seven board in December oh. was a hard job. I, I thought that was <laughs> 
that was the direction you were gonna go no, for that's, working um, for horn frog frog <clears throat> blitz yeah no horn frog blitz is great uh everybody's being totally rational and totally uh, totally normal rational. <laughs> <Right>? now <laughs> i i did mention last week on the board i was like is this what every off season is like and everyone to a t was like you haven't even seen the worst. I, yet, so. I I think that there one particular poster who has been passed around our group chat. I don't know if he listens or not, but there's one person who has taken the off season to a level that I only expected to see from an SEC fan base. And in that I'm way, I honestly, I'm I'm a little proud. Yeah, that this small but mighty bunch has risen up to the level that they have. Yeah, um, but I will say, at the risk of my own, you know, semi side job career here. It's okay to walk away from the computer sometimes. It's okay. Yes. To go outside, take a breath of fresh air. It's restorative to the soul. Sunlight is good for your skin and your mental health. Let's uh, let's let's do more. Touch grass, my friend. Take some laps. Take take multiple laps. Yeah, I I would imagine that you know Sunny Dykes has been taking some laps, walking around campus, catching some some air, getting a little good breath in. I'm hoping he's not spending a lot of time on TCU fan communities because, as you said, not really reacting rationally. But frankly, I understand a little bit of the concern and consternation coming from a fan base that is a year removed. I I got the notification today, a a year removed from playing for a Big 12 championship and now staring down a five and seven season where our season is over. And as expected, but maybe not who was expected, the transfer portal names are pouring in. And mm-hmm. man, it's it's rough out there. It's rough out there for Frog fans. It's, it's uh, you know, there's there are two types of, uh, three types of transfers, I think. There are the transfers where you kind of see it coming, mm-hmm. um, be it playing time, be it, you know, other kind of circumstances where, it's just very clearly like not a good fit for the kid. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're like, okay, let's try to relocate, start from square one again, and just see if we don't have a better situation somewhere else. There are other kinds of transfers where um, maybe a kid is encouraged to go and do that mm-hmm. because of whatever underlying circumstances there are in a situation. Maybe it's not as mutual in 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 box option number two and then in option number three there there are the guys where it's like oh no 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 like we have plans for you yeah we need you here um let's have a conversation about what this could look like moving forward and depending on those conversations sometimes maybe a kid will say maybe a kid won't um and i think we've really truly seen a couple of different versions of that for tcu already this week as the portal has opened up because it opened up on Monday officially grad transfers uh, <clears throat> had an extra week to hit the portal and start having some conversations, which is why we saw some stuff starting to stir up last week. Other kids that weren't grad transfers started to announce intentions to go into the portal when it opened up officially on the fourth. Uh, so they were filling out paperwork, getting all of the kind of the, the backend stuff submitted so that right when that portal opened up, they were in it and available to be uh, reached out to by other teams. Um, and, but this year, just in general, Melissa, over 1100 kids in the first 24 hours entered the transfer portal, the most in any given day in the history of the portal. I think we're only going to see it ramp up more and more and more, um, because the other aspect of this is the fact that there's, you know, NIL, uh, coming into play here and, and, um, Kids are kids are entering the portal to see if they have an opportunity to maybe make a little bit more money somewhere else. And so I want to be careful with how I talk about um, the kids that are leaving TCU because mm-hmm. I do like all of these kids. Um, there are nine former frogs going into the transfer portal currently. And I think that up and down this list of names, they're all good kids. They all have opportunities maybe to go and be successful other places outside of TCU. And they also all have varying reasons for why they're not maybe going to be as successful as TCU or they're choosing not to be as successful at TCU, right? And so there's context behind every transfer. 
what that context is, we only know to varying degrees. And so I think that when we start to have conversations like this about kids, whether it's a TCU kid or it's, you know, another kid from another school who's maybe a blue blood and that kid was their starting quarterback for all 12 games and now they're transferring somewhere else. Right. Dylan Gabriel. What? Right. Like, and you you just never know what the actual context is unless you've had a conversation maybe with the kid and the head coach. And that's very rare that we have people who have had conversations with both of those people in a certain situation. So, and and it can still be, he said, he said at that point, right. Exactly. Everyone's got to kind of cover their tracks at this point because the the kid leaving doesn't want a bad reputation going to the next spot. The coaches Mm -hmm. want to don't want anything negative recruiting wise against them. I mean, this is, this is a soap opera in college football up to a level that we Mm -hmm. never would have imagined five years ago. Oh, absolutely. It's insane. Yeah. Um, So I want to give a shout out though uh, to task force frog, uh, who's a member of the board because they did something really cool today as if you're a member of the site um, and most, I know that you are, so you've been following some of the madness. It's like, okay, Jeremy hears something and, and starts to maybe break that news to the board. I hear something. I start to maybe break that news to the board or, there are some rumblings of some stuff that's happening and we can't really comment until we have something confirmed. Um, There's only certain extent that he will go or I will go to say, yes, we're hearing something because we don't want to a be hyper disruptive and then nothing happens. And B we don't want to um, break news before it's actually happened. Like before it's confirmed, right? Because there's danger in both of those situations. So Mm -hmm. a lot of this time of year I'm learning is just like, oh my gosh, rumor, 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 spiral, spiral, spiral. (laughs) Oh, and then there's like the kind of the the breakup rage almost of like, oh, this person's not here anymore. I hate them now, blah, 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 all this rabble, 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 right? So that's kind of why I want to, that's why I preface all this other stuff with, there are some there are some certain situations here with some guys that are leaving TCU that I don't know the full story. Um, I don't think we'll ever know the full story. I don't know if Jeremy knows the full story because he and I, frankly, don't dive into a lot of the rumors and stuff a lot. When we're on the phone, we're just trying to confirm things with each other uh, and and kind of share notes and stuff. So, um, but anywho, last week before the portal even opened, we knew that a handful of guys were going to leave. Um, a couple of those names were, were expected mostly because the playing time simply wasn't there for some, some of these guys, Jasper Lott, an offensive lineman being one of them, Mason white, a Juco transfer cornerback who struggled to see playing time was banged up a little bit this year. Never really got his feet under him. Um, he hit the portal, uh, Davion Crawford as a grad transfer, um, a senior safety is in the portal as well. Um, and then Ishburdine uh, was another one who a cornerback who just couldn't stay healthy here. He's in the portal as well. He was originally a transfer in from Missouri. Um, so we'll see uh, how that goes for him in the portal as well. Uh, and then the last one that's uh, happened on Tuesday, uh, Jayante McMillan, um, another cornerback who was kind of down the depth chart, played a little bit more near, near the end of the year, especially when uh, Channing Canada was banged up Um but again, another guy who, you know, playing time is probably one of the the, the main reasons for, for him leaving. Those are all guys that were kind of expected, right? Yeah. And then there, there, there are the other, the, the next kind of group of guys who, okay, wow, like what happened here that, um, what happened here that made this separation happen? Like, why are these kids leaving the portal? Because these are some of the more highly rated kids in the class who you were at least from an outside perspective, thinking, okay, these are pieces that Sonny Dykes and his coaching staff can build on to not only, you know, have this really awesome year one national championship experience, but build a program that is capable of sustained success of staying on top of the mountain, not just getting there once. So you've got Chase Biddle, right? One of the highest rated recruits from the 2022 class. Um, technically, Sonny's first class. Um, was a flip, right? So he was one of those kids that was committed to Sonny over at SMU. And the day that um, they changed uh, schools, the day the staff came over, 
he and Jordan Hudson and another guy on this list, Cordell Russell, all flipped their their commitments from SMU to TCU. And it's this really big kind of recruiting victory alongside this hiring victory for TCU. Those three guys, Cordell Russell, Chase Biddle, and um, Jordan Hudson at the time were three of the highest rated recruits TCU had in that yeah. 22 and 23 class. I believe at the time Cordell Russell was the only commit TCU had for the 2023 class. And um, to see all three of them now departed from the program is disappointing in a way, um, especially when you consider the fact that Jordan Hudson was playing in the national championship, like actively yeah. playing, catching passes, scoring touchdowns, uh, you know, doing, being a, a legitimate contributor on the field. Um, when you get to Chase Biddle and, and Cordell Russell, you know, I think Chase Biddle played two snaps all year, right? I think Cordell Russell played like 15 to 20 snaps all year. And so you start to ask your questions. Okay. Well, why weren't these really talented kids seeing playing time? And that's where rumors start to happen and speculation starts to happen. But the reality is, is that Biddle was seeing his playing time taken by some younger guys, right? We saw a lot of Jamel Johnson this year. We saw a lot of another guy we're going to talk about, Randon Fontenette, this year as well. Um, and uh, so maybe the writing was a little bit there on the wall for Chase Biddle to step out and you know pursue other opportunities. Cordell Russell, the same way, right? I mean, there were so many veteran receivers on this team this year, and even when some of those guys started to go down with injuries, Dylan Wright, Jack Besh, Warren Thompson, you know, uh, other guys were banged up as well, still wasn't finding his way onto the field. And so you have to start asking yourself, okay, well, why is that the case? And maybe there is a good opportunity for him to go and get uh, some, some playing time somewhere else. I want to stop there before we talk about the next two guys that came out on Tuesday, Melissa, because I've been going for a couple of minutes now, and I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on this, because I, I really do think that, um, you know, to this point, the names that we've talked about that are leaving TCU, you're, you're talking a lot about guys who contributed in some ways, um, weren't maybe the biggest contributors, and really, truly, it's it's a lot of maybe unmet potential, but no real significant, like you're not losing a thousand yard rusher in that group. Yeah. You're not losing a, a hundred tackle guy in that group. You know what I'm saying? Well, this, this is, this is the issue. And I think this is going to come into play. When we talk about the other two guys as well, is that there there's, you've said it before, there's multiple stories here and mm -hmm. you know, we, we <clears> saw <throat> the talent, of a Cordell Russell. We heard about him, you know, he was an early enrollee. He's a guy that's been on campus. Um, someone that we were talked about his physical prowess is, you know, how, how gifted he was, um, you know, Chase Biddle, we didn't really see as much or hear as much about. And, you know, based on the safety play of the season that again, maybe the writing was on the wall there that he couldn't break into that lineup, um, you know, at the expense or, you know, instead of some of those younger true freshmen, um, what I think is the the issue here, and I think it's an unanswerable or unsolvable issue, is how much of this is not coaching up, not developing, not giving opportunities to guys. How much is this is on the kids, maybe not taking advantage of the opportunities, maybe not studying the playbook, maybe not put, having the work ethic or uh, the ability. And, and that's what we don't know, because we're really just one year into the development mm. cycle under Sunny Dykes. And so... That's kind of where I what I want to know. And as we as we move into talking about some of these other guys as well, that how much of this do we look at and say, this is college football, this happens, highly rated guys are going to move around, guys that don't get to play earlier are going to move around because that's what they do. How much of this is saying we might have a problem at TCU and that we're recruiting high level talent that can't actually play and contribute or that isn't willing to stay and develop to the level that they contribute or doesn't see an opportunity for them to contribute down the line. And then how much of this is, is there some evaluation issues as far mm. as whether it's talent or whether it's fit, whether it's character? I mean, I think that there's not a TCU fan among us that would say they watched this team compared to 2022 and thought this was a hot, like the character of this team stood out, the leadership stood out, the, the work ethic of this team stood out that compared to a year ago and guys like 
Max Duggan and Quentin Johnston and and them, it was obviously a very, and, and Trey Hodge Tomlinson is a very different group as far as how much they were willing to do in order to achieve their goals. This group didn't have that or didn't have enough of those types of guys. And so I think my biggest question right now is evaluation. Um, and, and I say that not just based on guys that are leaving um, and guys that we aren't being able to hold on to after just a year, guys that were projected starters. You know, you kind of mentioned Rain Botnet. That, that to me is the big concerning one. Um, but, you know, we've seen twice now a guy be started, slotted to start at quarterback and someone to come in and maybe play at a higher level. You know, we, we've, you've got to wonder, like, I'm not going to, I don't really want to name any names, but there's some veteran guys that we all watched out there, especially on the defensive side of the ball that were like, why is, why are some of these young four-star highly talented guys not able to overtake some of these veterans that we've kind of seen enough tape on to know what they are capable of and what they aren't capable of. Is there something in the evaluation process as far as how they're recruiting guys that that may be concerned us about being able to build this program up from a talent perspective long term? I mean, that that to me is going to be the bigger question. I don't know that we're going to get the answer to that in the offseason, obviously, but that's to me where I want to see a successful transfer portal recruiting cycle, a successful high school recruiting cycle now that they're not doing this all last minute. And how many of those guys can you develop into meaningful players in 2024 and beyond? You're right. And I think uh, I think what's really important about what you said is the fact that we're we're still really early in the development mm-hmm. opportunity for this coaching staff to show, hey, this is how we build a program. This is how we develop kids from high school to junior year of college to when we you know, this, the data shows that's really the year that the majority of kids at this level will break through and be big contributors on a team. Um, so we're just from a time perspective, we haven't gone out far enough yet. There hasn't been enough runway. Um, but I do agree too, that there are some big questions that we can start to at least analyze right now. And part of that is evaluation. Part of that is execution on the field. Um, because the, the thing that kept coming back to me, because what I saw TCU fans doing this whole season was having a debate and it was not necessarily two camps having a debate, but it was this this kind of circular arguing around uh, kind of what I think you're touching on here. And that's okay. Well, are the problems on the field execution based or coaching based as if it's like a binary and it's one or the other, when in reality, it's probably a blend of both where there are some guys that were very clearly asked to do things that they simply could not do this year, but because of maybe the depth of personnel behind them, in the in on the roster those were the dudes that you had to roll with right in other aspects though there were absolutely some some places where you could say okay we've identified what this guy can do really well we've identified what they are challenged by the coaching hasn't stuck whatever hasn't stuck and the thing that is still a, a deficiency is being taken advantage of now are there other guys on the roster who maybe have a skill set that is capable of mitigating that thing that other teams are starting to take advantage of um and it's not necessarily like oh okay when we think they're going to do x we're going to put player a in and when we think they're going to do y we're going to put player b in but instead what we're going to do is have a more robust rotation of guys at certain spots where the opposition now has to consider, Oh, okay. Well, this person's on the field. That person's on the field. This is what's happening over here. This is what's happening over here. Making another team take pause and think about what you're trying to do rather than just going out and executing whatever game plan they have. I don't think there was enough disruption from TCU this year as far as getting in the way of what other opponents were trying to do. And maybe some personnel differences could have affected that a little bit. Well, I mean, I I completely agree. Like at the end of the day, you can't, and, and I think this is where we saw some frustration towards the end of the Gary Patterson era. You can't be so married to your scheme and your plan that you allow 
square pegs to be put in round holes to the detriment mm-hmm. of your success as a team. And I think that's a lot of where the frustration lies. If, you know, I, I work with young people. I know what this is like. I, I would not want to bet my career on 18 to 22 year olds. Like I just wouldn't want to have to do it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, yes, you can lead a horse to water. You cannot make them drink. You can give the kids all of the proper coaching. You cannot make them you know, execute a tackle on the field. We saw that this season, but at the same time too, it is your job to continuously be putting your athletes in the best possible position to succeed. And I think where TC fans have a, a legitimate complaint or gripe is that it felt like from a outsider's perspective, that's not what was happening on a week by week basis. We would see glimpses of things and, and then it unravel, or we would see maybe an adjustment in a second half that was too late when they were down too early. And so I think, again, the personnel that Joe Gillespie, Kendall Ryle, Sonny Dykes want is not there on this roster. That's obvious. Like that's, and that's fair. Like they, I Mm -hmm. mean, it's one real recruiting cycle, but then it's also, I think there is something to the blue chip talent ratio and that you have to be able to draw elite talent to your university in order to elevate your program. And then you have to be able to develop and keep that talent. So you have to identify the correct talent for your system. You have to get that talent in and you have to be able to make them work where you do. I, I don't think, and and I was reading on the board and there was some argument about how much you cater to a blue chip prospect. And, and I, you know, the old school version is you don't cater to anybody you make the kids earn everything. I don't know that that's effective in college football today completely. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying kowtow completely to the kid, pay them and let them do whatever they want. You know, there have been a lot of maybe a certain talented <clears throat> former four-star wide receiver prospect was asked to leave because he didn't have the work ethic or the ability. Mm-hmm. You don't have to cater to a kid like that. But if you get a, a Randon Fontenet onto campus, you get him into game action, you see that there is a future for this kid to the program man, you have to find a way to make it appealing for him to stick. Now, if this kid goes and gets a bag and goes to a Notre Dame or an Oklahoma or a Texas or whatever else, fine. You're not going to, like, you can't fight that. You're not going to win those battles at TCU. But if you can't get, if you see those kids stepping down a level or making a lateral move and you can't find a way to make it work where you are and you want to be an elite program and you want to dominate the new Big 12, that's where I start to see maybe that there's a bigger term issue. But like you said at the beginning of, of this conversation, there's absolutely no way for us to know that today. If we're having these same conversations a year from now, then I think it's time to start saying there's some real issues here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know the way I always think about it too, especially when it comes to development of a player is... And this is like a very, you're going to hate me for this. It's very like basic and almost too stripped down of an analogy. But if you've got two guys. Are you going to mansplain this to me? No, 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 no. This is no mansplaining. This is like an analogy kind of thing. And I'll, I'll, I'll even propose it to you as like a question. If you're a, a baseball coach um, and you've got a veteran player who has, excellent form, meticulous uh, uh, mechanics when it comes to running from home plate to first base. And you've got a younger kid whose mechanics maybe aren't as good, form isn't as great, runs the same time to first base. Which kid are you going to pour more effort into to get them to the next level? Well, I I think that's not the, the full frame of the question. It's the potential. If you've got that kid that does everything technically right, but you know who that kid is and he hits a single every single time he comes up to the bat, but the other kid that's maybe a little bit more wild and a little bit more raw, but every once in a while he hits a home run and you see that there's more, you invest in the kid with the higher ceiling at this level of athletics versus the kid with the higher floor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you take the guy and you say, okay, well, the, the, the mechanics aren't quite there yet. The form's not quite there yet, but we fix those things. We coach those things up and maybe your time is now a half second faster. Yeah. First base, right. Yeah. And <clears throat> this is where we can kind of transition into the, the next two guys that are, are leaving, which is random, Brandon Fontenet and, and Jonathan Bax, the linebacker from Louisiana. Um, if you have guys that you see all of the potential in the world in, in practice, and I know that they saw all of the potential in the world in, for those two guys in practice, because I was out at practice. Yeah. Right. We were there for spring ball. We were there for fall camp. 
we heard time and time again from folks around the program, these are dudes that are going to be big contributors to TCU football down the road. We saw a lot. We saw not a lot, 81 snaps from Randon Fontenant this year. Uh, Jonathan Bax was mostly special teams. Didn't get a lot of, uh, didn't get a lot of run at linebacker at all. Um, and they're walking away from, from the program now, right? They submitted their paperwork and they're, and they're going on and you have to wonder, uh, and this goes back to the catering of, of the blue chip prospects, even though Bax doesn't qualify as a blue chip uh, Fontenet does, but you know, how much do you give to a kid who you like, if you legitimately think this is going to be a guy that we have to lean on next year, right? Like, Brandon Fontenet, there was conversation about, oh, this guy might be a starter in the secondary next year. Uh, Jonathan Bax probably had a little bit of a longer road because he's playing behind Johnny Hodges. Sorry. <laughs> you know, can I have that conversation too about, hey, maybe Johnny Hodges isn't getting as hurt if he's only yeah. playing 50 snaps a game instead of 75, right? Or 45 instead of 60, whatever it might be. But that's again, an, not like the defense was on there for a hundred snaps a game. So I, I might have been. Well, yeah. that's a that's a whole nother conversation. But um, you know, there you can't be surprised when guys of that caliber decide to walk when they don't feel like they've gotten the opportunity that they've maybe earned in practice. And maybe you know, I saw of all people, I, I saw uh, a couple of different current and former Horn Frogs tweeting about the transfer portal today, mostly in negative ways, mostly not naming anybody, but mostly just saying, oh man, like people have no patience these days or people a think too highly of trans- themselves. Transfers themselves though also, but that's sure, okay. Sure, that's yeah. Okay. And again, right? Circumstance matters, context matters. People transfer for different reasons, yada, yada, yada. I've said all that already. Um, but what it all boils down to, I think for me, and, and especially when it comes to Fontenet and Bax, who I'm really bummed to see go just because I I think that they have all the potential in the world. Um, and I would have loved to see that potential realized at TCU. I fully think and full truly believe that we will see that potential realized somewhere else. And that's really great yeah. for those kids. Um, not as great for TCU, but uh, the thing that I think it all kind of boils down to is th- the impossible position that football coaches are in now to recruit their own team, recruit at the high school level, keep an eye on guys they miss at the high school level in case they come open in the portal, make sure that uh, they aren't sacrificing on-field product for trying to maybe keep the future of the program warm enough to where they don't go to someone else's campfire. Right. And it, yeah. it, it feels like an incredibly difficult challenge. And like you said, you never want your career to, to, to rest on the whims of, of 18 to 22 year olds, it, but it feels like it's an even more impossible task now because someone could go get a bag. Someone could just hit the portal because they're not happy, you know, all these other things uh, versus, you know, 20 years ago when, oh, well, do you really want to leave? Because, you know, you're going to have to sit out a year and, you know, you're not, I mean, no one's quote unquote, no one's getting paid, you know, Um, just it's, and, and I say all this and I ask these questions because I think, this is this is what I stumped for for a really long time was for the kids to have mobility when it comes to being in a situation they weren't comfortable in. Yeah. Why would they have to sit out a year if if they wanted to go somewhere else? I still agree with that. I still think they should have immediate eligibility. I you know I, I'm okay with the waiver process for a second transfer. Um, you know, I stumped for a long time and you did too. The kids deserve to get paid, right? And I stand by that. I, I have not wavered on that one bit. And I said this on the on the mailbag episode last week. If the market says that a kid's worth a million five, then the market says a kid's worth a million five, right? And pay that man his money. Um, and I think that the new challenge for coaches is... Uh, Oh man, we're not the only ones that 
are yeah. getting a big bag anymore. Oh man, we're not the ones some power. that can just dip on a contract halfway through it and mm-hmm. go take a bag somewhere else. Um, how do we navigate this shift in power essentially that has gone away from coaches and into the hands of players? And how do we also at the same time try to grow up these 18 to 22 year old young men for the context of college football only, how do we grow some of these kids up to understand the responsibility that comes with power and money, (laughs) right? Freedom and money and without sounding hypocritical, right? So not only are you coaching a football team anymore and growing up young men in a certain way, but now you're also having to navigate that in the new reality of, well, if a kid doesn't like it, they're gone. And it just seems impossible to me. It, and, and it is. And I mean, you're you're going to lose some of those battles every single year. And, yep. and that's fine. Like, that's what it is. But, you know, to me, and, and again, I'm not equating my coaching experience to coaching a Division One Power 5 football team. I completely understand that. I don't want anyone to take this a long way. But on some level, there are certain principles in coaching that translate at any level, whether you're coaching your kid's t-ball team or, you know, TCU. When you have a talented kid or a kid with a special skill or special gift, you find a way to exploit that gift. Yep. When you have a kid, like you said, that maybe struggles in a certain area, you find a way to cover up that soft spot. You know, I, I sat there and I, I had a kid who's the fastest freaking kid in our league. And I knew she was the fastest kid in our league. So what did I do? I schemed up every single opportunity I could to get that kid the ball in space and let her run by people. And she led the league in touchdowns. Even like we didn't win as many games as we would like. She missed five of those, six of those games due to other things. Still led the league in touchdowns because I was smart enough to say, this kid is good. Here's what she's good at. How can I give her an opportunity to be good at that and help us win football games? Like that, like, and, and that's the frustration here, I guess, is, is that you see these kids perform in practice. Mm-hmm. You see what they're good at. You say, oh, this kid's the future. You're a five and seven football team that could have used help at the position that those kids played. You know, Bax is playing behind Johnny Hodges. Johnny Hodges missed a good portion of the season. You know, Cordell Russell doesn't see any meaningful snaps. The wide receiver unit was banged up and there wasn't a guy that we felt like could stretch the field consistently. You know, you know, Rand Fontenet got opportunities, but like maybe, maybe there's, we saw Jamil Johnson get more. Maybe there's opportunities to get him out there. Maybe they're not going to be perfect. Maybe they're not going to do everything right. Maybe, you know, but, but if you can find a way to get them opportunities to showcase what they're good at and exploit their talent and their skill and the thing that made you so excited, made you talk them up all summer long and all through fall ball, maybe they still leave. But also maybe they say, this coach understands me and this coach knows how to make me look good so that I can be a draftable prospect a year from now so that I can be the next Quentin Johnston. I can be the next, you know, Trey Merrick, I, you know, the, the next whoever. And and that's, again, we don't know yet because it hasn't been long enough to prove or disprove either way. But that's what you want to see from your coaching staff is to say, we got this blue chip kid. This is what This is why we recruited him. This is what we know he's good at. How do we allow him to showcase that on Saturdays? And that's kind of the next thing that we need to see from the staff, I think, in order to have faith. You're still going to lose 8 to 12 guys a year, but you want to lose the right 8 to 12 guys a year, not the 8 to 12 guys a year that, like, I, and we'll see where these guys land. Some of the offer lists, they're going like, maybe, maybe this is best for the kid. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's going to be be the thing is I don't, I don't want to see Cordell Russell land at, you know, the university of Texas and score 13 touchdowns next year. Like, like I do for him, but like, it's like, man, why couldn't, why couldn't we make that happen when he was here? And, and, and again, I think if you're a eight and four team or a nine and three team and these guys are leaving, it's probably not, it's probably fine mm-hmm. But to be as bad as TC was for as much of the season as they were. And then to have these four-star kids dip, I, I think that just feels like adding insult to injury and, that's where you're going to need to see some growth. Um, I, we can't make our deciding factors on this season. It, it's still too early. But like I said earlier, 
we can't be having this conversation again 12 months from now. That's when there starts to be real concern. For sure. For sure. And and just kind of the last thing I'll say to put a bow on all of this is, you know, for, for a lot of the year, you know, we were having this debate, is it execution? Is it coaching? From Sonny Dyke's perspective, every time that he stepped up to the microphone, to his credit almost, he said, you know, all everything, no matter what it is, if it's execution, if it's whatever it is, always at the end of the day leads back to coaching. And so uh, props to him for taking that kind of responsibility because that's that it's true. And, and at least saying it into a microphone, I think is good. And if execution is the issue and you're seeing execution mistakes anyways, what's the harm? in a younger guy being out there yeah. and, 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 uh, and being put at risk of making an execution mistake. Well, and, and if you're going to say <clears> it comes down to coaching and you say that see the same mistakes being mel- made consistently throughout the season, and then you kind of go with the status quo going into the next season, there's not a lot of room for error to not be making those same mistakes in 2024. No, there's not a lot and, of room for error. No, and and I, I, I don't necessarily want to bring up, coaching changes or lack thereof you talk Mm -hmm. about getting the board fired up but um you know i I think that we we were promised they wouldn't sit on their laurels that doesn't necessarily mean anything has to change but they're going to need to find some wins here if they want to get the fan base back on board and as you look at what the future of college football is going to be you're going to need the fan base on board and invested in your program um, in a way that it does not feel like there's not a lot of comfort amongst this fan base right now. And it's not a big enough fan base to have a good percentage of it kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm not giving up. I'm not doom and gloom. I think it's absolutely fair and right to be able to ask questions. I think that that's, that's our role, especially you know, as us like little lowercase J journalists, but that are also fans and are both alum of the school. I, I think it's okay to ask questions. I, I'm not going to sit here and like crap on Sonny Dykes. I don't know yet. He gave us the best season of either of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and one of the biggest runs. And he did so much for TCU and built this incredible mountain of goodwill um that that could have bought us a lot of time of being average but this was such a steep and precipitous drop that I think you have to show that we're climbing back up the mountain I I didn't need to compete for a national championship game again um but I I just I felt I felt like so many of those seven losses there was such a hopelessness around how they went and you think about specifically West Virginia and Oklahoma where it just felt like there was no chance. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where you, we want to see some hope. And so they come out and day one of the portal, um, you know, the first year is the portal and lose three of your top recruits from the 2023 class guys that, that, you know, were potentially going to play significant roles next year. Um, we need to win. And thankfully early signing day is around the corner and hopefully we get some men. Yeah, I think it's it's going to turn out to be a pretty decent high school class. It's not going to be as highly rated as 2023 was, but uh, there are a couple pieces still in the works. Uh, there's a Duke cornerback commit who uh, Paul Gonzalez went out to see at Texarkana High School earlier this week and is, is scheduled to take an official visit now. And obviously with Mike Elko leaving Duke and heading to Texas A&M, there might be an opportunity there for a little flip late in the game. Still talking to a couple other people, obviously Dozia Ezekanma, uh, flipping from Oklahoma to TCU is, is a nice little win for the Frogs to get another wide receiver in here who's got an older brother in the league right now. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> nice little family bloodline there coming over to the Horn Frogs. And uh, so, yeah, they, you know, they're 30th right now in, in the rankings on 24 uh, 7. Adding one or two more guys might bump them up to 29 or 28. And you're talking about a top 30 high school class, which it's not 21, but. You know, the top end of that class is also still really, really nice with Ja'Kyle Baker, Haas Haney, and, and Ja'Kyle, Ja'Kyle Baker. What am I saying? Ja'Kyle, oh my God, what is happening? I'm having a whole a it's, whole it's, stroke right now. It's been a while. It's been a week. It's We're fine. Like, it's, what it's am okay. I doing? Hang on. It, it is no, Ja'Kyle Baker. No. Thank you. It is Ja'Kyle Baker. Yeah, it is Ja'Kyle Baker. Okay, I don't know what's going on. Ja'Kyle Baker, Haas Haney. Uh, you know, Jeremy Payne, Travis Jackson, some of these really, really talented kids who 
TCU fans should be excited about, right? Yeah. I don't feel like TCU fans have had an opportunity to get excited about anything. And I think you're right. Early signing day is right around the corner. And that is an opportunity to genuinely be happy and excited about yeah. some of the things that are happening with TCU football. Um, Jamie. Some, yeah. I was going to say, like, there are other things to be happy and excited about. Like, I know we all think about football and football season all of the time, mm-hmm. but my God, like TCU basketball. Yes. Like, let's be happy and excited about not only TCU men, but the TCU women who are now 9-0. and 9-0. Madison yes. Connor has hit 19 three-pointers in her last two games. Uh, and she yes. has done so in, I think, uh, 44 attempts. Mm-hmm. So nineteen fourth for her, for her last forty four. Yeah, fourth, yeah, fourth score, leading score and, in the country. Yeah, Dope. Sedona Prince flirted with a triple double tonight. I I saw her block a shot with her left hand that she just that the the player that she blocked literally just looked at her and smiled and was mm-hmm. just like okay like yep. it is what they are doing. The true tests still remain, but man, like this TC women's team feels like they have all of the pieces mm-hmm. to be a problem in the big 12. 77 to 60 went over Abilene Christian on Tuesday night. The last block Sedona Prince had was probably my favorite block because it was like a, a little guard just running, trying to get a shot. And Sedona just palms the ball yep. and just like tucks it like a football, yep. like doesn't block it away. It's just like, no, this is mine now. Like a, a like an older sibling snatching a ball away from a younger sibling, That's and then great. just like started a fast break, got dribbled out the dribbled out the clock, and and, and yeah. TCU won. And uh, I know we talked about this uh, a couple episodes ago, but just how impressive it has been that Mark Campbell in such a short amount of time effectively used the transfer portal, effectively maintained some of the high school recruiting class from from this past signing class and then managed to navigate some of the remaining players from last year's team and and just kind of weaving all of those players together into what we have seen so far which is a really fun product to watch first and foremost they are a fun basketball team to watch and they uh, you know he said in his introductory press conference we're gonna we're gonna pick and roll (laughs) we're gonna run picks and we are going to shoot the ball. And my God, if he was not lying, like he was not lying. No. They go four out. They shoot the ball like crazy. I think Sedona Prince leads the nation in picks and, yeah. and screen set. She's like, holy cow. She's I would not want to get screened by her either. No, she's six, seven. She's a beast. And yeah. <laughs> just screen and roll, screen and roll, screen and roll. That's her whole existence outside of blocking shots, rebounding. And then, oh, yeah, scoring close to 30 points yeah. a game. So, um, Absolutely crazy what Mark Campbell and and that group of, of women has been able to do so far this year. Nine and zero, like you said, not the toughest schedule in the world, but a win a win on a neutral side against Nebraska is a yeah. pretty good win. A twenty point twenty five point win over a Rice team that beat TCU last year yeah. is a nice little marker of of how far this team has come. And a lot of those teams are going to be tournament teams. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. lower level teams, but, but they have played some good experienced tournament teams. The ACU team. I mean, they, they made a, a cut a big lead with the, they outscored TC by 15 in the second quarter. TC still led mm-hmm. going into the half, but, but I mean, they've played some talented individual players. They played some nice lower level teams. It's schedule, like I said, not great, but they, they just, they do a lot of things really, really well. And they have mm-hmm. absolutely dominated their opponents and that's what you want to see if you're playing teams that are not up to your standard of uh of of ability so that it's it's going to be again big 12's grind on the women's side just like it is on the men's um Mm -hmm. but when you watch the way they play basketball they are going to be capable of playing with anybody they're going to have some bad nights too i mean madison connor you know she she's had some 10 for 25 nights she's had some one for seven nights I think she's going to have a lot more. Probably, we're going to see a lot of like five for eleven nights, and I think that yeah. that those are going to be the kind of nights that are going to help TCU get a lot of wins in Big Twelve play. I can promise you, there's not a Big Twelve coach in the league right now watching TCU women and saying, "I can't wait to play that team." They are all right. saying, "I want nothing to do with that team." Not a bad turnaround for a team that was one and seventeen in conference yeah. last year. Madison Connor now through nine games, averaging twenty four point eight points per game and six point two rebounds per game not bad from your guard spot um how, Sedona, how many threes is she making a game how much of those 23 points i'm gonna guess she's averaging over six made threes a game 
Uh, I don't have an average per game here for you, but I'll tell you that she's 51 of 112. So she's nine games. So she's is, made I, 51 threes through nine. So games. 51 in nine games. I like doing math on the air. So she is That's at five point five point six. So I was really close. I was thinking 5. about six, six made threes. Made threes a game. So so she's scoring approximately 17 of her 23 points a game are coming from behind, mm-hmm. behind the arc. I bet the others are coming from free throws. How roughly, many shoes has she attempted? Roughly 12 attempted threes per game. Okay. She's attempted 112 three-point field goals altogether. She has attempted 161 shots from the floor. So 40, 40 so, only 42 pointers. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So two two thirds of her shot attempts come from behind the arc. I'm obsessed with her. And I she's hitting her. them at a 45% clip. She's insane. I, I I love this team. I love this team so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you know what else I love? What's that? Unreviewable rules. God. When they when they go our way. Um, Max was in, Emmanuel Miller was out. Kendra was in. Kendra was in. It it all it all evens out in the wash, right? It does. Yeah. The men took down Georgetown in their first road game of the year, uh, 84 to 83 on Saturday afternoon. I watched this basketball game after hosting a 10-year-old Fortnite birthday party at my house. Not what you needed for your um, blood pressure, but so yeah, I already thought that I was like up here with the stress level of the day and men's hoops just said, now nah, we're going to take that thing to 11. And it, it was, it was an entertaining game for a couple of different reasons. Not the least of which is that we saw a horn frog get ejected. Yeah. And we saw the, the, the rarest of the rare, a six point play from uh, Georgetown immediately following that ejection, or I guess so kind of around that ejection yeah. of Xavier Cork in the second half. But um, you know, what I saw from TCU in this game is that they're, they're so capable. They're so capable of just scoring in bunches really, really quickly. And that's not something we've been able to say about yeah. TCU men's basketball for a couple of years now. We've had guys, obviously, Desmond Bain, Mike Miles, Damian Baugh, E-Man to an extent last year, um, going all the way back to like Alex Robinson and Brandon Parrish and Kenny Hustle. Like you've had teams where guys were very offensively talented. Vlad Brodzianski is another guy that comes to mind. But this team is just different with how good they are on the offensive end and how efficient they are offensively. They do such an incredible job of moving the ball, getting down the court quickly. They lead the country in fast break points. They're like fourth in the country in steals per game. All of that was on display against Georgetown, and yet they still only won by a point. Um, they led by 15 three minutes into the second half. They used a seven to nothing run out of halftime to get up by 15, which was their largest lead of the game. Um, and so you take a, you take kind of all those bits and pieces and you think, gosh, okay, like they had 14 offensive rebounds, right? Like they, they were absolutely crushing it. How did they only win by one? Well, we saw the, we saw kind of what happens when there are steps low on defense. We saw what happens yeah. when, they don't take high percentage shots when they try to force some things with the basketball and half court offense. When, you know, you're missing Xavier Cork and Ernest Uday's in foul trouble and Asan Mustafa is your only center, you're going to play things a little differently, maybe defensively than, than you'd like to for long stretches of game time. And so we saw the best of TCU basketball in this game against Georgetown. We saw some of the things that are, are going to be a struggle for this team, I think. Mm-hmm especially when they get into Big 12 play. Um, you can't have what Xavier Cork did happen. You can't have that happen yeah. in, in conference play and expect to come away with a win, right? And, and Jamie Dixon talked about it a little bit during his media availability on Tuesday. Um, I, I asked him about it. I said, you know, did you have a chance to, to go back and watch that again? And, and what are your thoughts? And he said he didn't see it happen in real time. But for those of you that maybe didn't watch the basketball game, uh, there was a three-point shot attempt uh, on Georgetown's end of the court um, with, I believe, like 15, 16 minutes left. I think it was like 16 and change left in the second half. Um, and Cork's under the basket fighting for position for a potential rebound. But he turns around and he full-arm extension shoves yeah. the guy he's trying to box out to the ground. Very clearly an intentional foul at the least. The refs went to the, to the review, deemed it a flagrant two foul, ejected him from the game. Georgetown got two free throws in the ball. They made one of those free throws on their ensuing possession. They got fouled, made two free throws. Oh, and the three-point shot that was taken while Cork was doing all of this went in. So six-point play, essentially, for um, or six-point possession, essentially, for Georgetown. 
that really swung things back in their favor as far as momentum goes. And, and when Dixon was talking about it, he said, you know, they were they were being overly physical with Xavier down on the other end of the court. Some things weren't getting called down there. It was a retaliation foul by Cork. Uh, and he, but he also said, we can't we can't allow that to happen. Like we have to be better about being physical. We have to be more controlled. We have, and so Dixon said he didn't agree with the call, but also said we have to respond differently when we're put in in, in those kinds of situations. Which which I uh, appreciated his perspective on that. Um, but the the end of the day, TC basketball is eight and zero now, or sorry, yeah, uh, seven and zero. They face a Clemson team that's ranked in the twenties, um, and also undefeated on Saturday afternoon. They've gone on the road and beaten Alabama, which TCU did in the scrimmage earlier this year. Um, and this is going to be probably the best test of the non-conference schedule for TCU is facing this Clemson Tigers team up in Toronto. And I'm very excited to see how that goes. Um, but Melissa, I want to hear before we get into whatever we're going to get into next, what was your reaction to Emmanuel Miller banking in a three-point shot to win the basketball game. I think the way that I did it on Twitter was, oh my God, next tweet. Oh no, next tweet. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> because the ball went up. It looked out of his hand. And again, been around the game of basketball since I was four years old, coached it. I've seen a lot of shots go up. It looked like it had a chance to bank in the minute he released it. I was like, that's got the right angle it's got the right arc but oh went in i got super fired up i was like oh my gosh and then they go to review and i was like i wasn't worried i knew he had released it in time Mm -hmm. but then on the tv they started showing the replay and i was like oh it splits out of bounds i was like well you know what like honestly and you for all the reasons that you mentioned there were a lot of things CCU did poorly down the stretch where they like georgetown give georgetown credit to that georgetown team is not great but they are good and they have, again, they they portaled really well also. They have some really nice veteran pieces. They had some nice returning players. That's a talented team. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll be a tourney team, but they're not going to be an embarrassment by any stretch of the imagination. That's a, they And they're well coached. Like, that's a program on the rise after a couple really down years under Patrick Ewing. I mean, I think, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be a good program. They're going to be back to being Georgetown sooner rather than later. But I assumed that it was going to get overturned. I was fine with that. I was unhappy with the loss because TC really gave it away after they outplayed the Hoyas for most of the game. Um, and then when it, they counted the basket again and the, the announcers were like, I can't believe they did that. They can't review that. I guess they can't review that call. And I was like, well, I'm going to take it because again, I felt like this entire football season was a giant kick in the gut. And so I will take a victory where I can get it. And I think TCU needed it for their own good to win an ugly game, to find a way to win a game, especially going into this Clemson game. Um, and then with, with, uh, you know, Arizona, Arizona, Arizona state, I Arizona state, Arizona state coming up on Monday. Um, and, and so I, I think that it was an important win. It was a good win. I think that part of the the challenge and not, we, we know how good their schedule is going to be going forward. It's number, number four, I think SOS, right. For the rest of the season. Number three um, now. Yeah. Number three now. Great. Awesome. Cool. Love it. Um, <laughs> so cool. Um, but it's hard for your guys to consistently get up against lesser competition. I mean, Georgetown on the road is still an exciting venue. That is a historically great program. It is, I think it's a a borderline blue blood when it comes to basketball, you know, they had Iverson, they've had some amazing players, Um, but they, it felt like they jumped out to a big league lead and then kind of treated the game. Like they had a lot of their other games where they didn't realize that this was a legitimate program that could get themselves back into it. So now hopefully that little boost, that energy carries them out to be able to play a full 40 minutes against a, a good Clemson team. Like you mentioned, um, there are some soft spots. There are some holes on this team when they're at their best. This is a team where you could easily see making a run to the sweet 16, potentially beyond. Um, but this is also a team where you could see them getting knocked out in round one if the matchup doesn't work. And so um, they're, they're going to take their lumps in big 12 play. But the great thing is with the big 12 being as good as it is, uh, they don't have to anything close to 500, you know, a win or two on either direction is probably getting them in the NCAA tournament. Um, and and I think that they're a team that are they're going to have a lot of fans because of the style of basketball they play. People are going to be watching and paying attention to TCU, and they will be a they will make life difficult for a lot of opponents. And it doesn't seem 
like there is a, a runaway super team right now in the Big 12. Kansas has some absolutely has some issues in that lineup. They're they are sorely lacking in shooting, something that TC fans can be very familiar with. BYU looks really, really good. Um, they're obviously ranked, but but again, you know, we we need to see them tested through that Big 12 grind. I, I don't know if they have the depth to to deal with that after coming out of Mountain West play for the last several years. Um, you know, th- th- there are some really talented teams, there are some good teams. Houston is Houston. Um, but I think TCU can play and can win against every opponent on their schedule going forward. They can also absolutely lose to every team on their schedule going forward. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how Jamie Dixon kind of keeps his guys locked in through the the grind. Um, you know, when you have that two or three or four game losing streak, that's bound to happen in this conference. How do you bounce back up and get your guys off the mat in order to win the games you need to win? But um, I, I am, I'm excited for some tough teams. I'm excited for some big names. I, I am excited for big 12 play. And the minute that we lose our first big 12 game, I'm going to be so angry that we're in the big 12 and that it's so upsetting to see this team have to have to battle like this night in and night out. Nobody else has to do it. Nobody else has to do it except for every other team in the big 12. Um, I was really impressed with the final two minutes of TCU's game against Georgetown. I thought from an execution standpoint, they did incredibly well. They they've refocused defensively which allowed them to come down and um, uh, Georgetown went to this like trap one, three, one zone near the end of the game. And I thought Jameer Nelson and Jacoby Coles did a great job of playing without the ball in space, getting to open spots behind the three point arc and and hitting the shots when they had the opportunity to do so to even put them in a position to where they could take a desperation shot to, to try and win the basketball game. I thought, Micah played excellent defense yeah. on that foul that was called with two seconds left. It was, uh, a good I, you know, it was just really, really strong defense. Sometimes you're just not going to get those calls. Yeah. Um, and, and he didn't in that, in that case, but uh, he also delivered one hell of a pass yeah. to Emmanuel Miller to even give him an opportunity to, to heave one up. It wasn't even really a desperation shot. Like it was a desperation because he banked it in because of the arc. But honestly, that play and that time was executed really, really well, other than the fact that he stepped out of bounds. But that didn't happen according to the official report. Well, so it doesn't and, matter. And you could have probably called a foul on the guy because he don't yeah. he hip checked him. He moved yeah. him. And, moved and they called body. some fouls on three-point shooters in that game. Tough. Yeah. It, it, it listen, like I think you know, we talked about this on the other way earlier. The one thing that I just really love about having Jamie Dixon as the head of this program is that guy knows who he has. He knows what they're good at. And he has shown the flexibility and the ability to consistently put guys in positions to be successful on the basketball court. And then Mm -hmm. he's got the buy-in from those guys, Micah Peavy and Jacoby Coles, the two most improved players I, I have I have seen at TCU in a really long time, maybe since like Kenny Hustle, right? Like mm-hmm. especially Jacoby Coles. That dude is arguably the early season MVP. Jameer Nelson's been incredible too. Emmanuel Miller's obviously just been doing Emmanuel Miller things, but Jacoby Coles has been the difference maker for this team in a lot of games. And Micah PV's offensive game has developed enough to where he's not a liability. And if you leave him open for a three-point shot, he's going to knock it down enough. And and that's mm-hmm. what he needed to be in order to be able to be a complete player for this team. Um, he, he's been great. I, again, the pieces are there. Yep. The pieces are there. The pieces play together in a way that makes them successful. They're going to lose some games. They're going to drop one. You don't want them to drop and they're going to win one or two that you're shocked that they win. Like that's, they're going to be good enough to be a tournament team and they're going to be battle tested enough to hopefully finally get over the hump and make it to the second weekend for the first time in history. It will be pretty great. That would be pretty great if that happened. I think so. We were we were gonna talk about some other things. Let's but table man, it. We're, Let's table I think it. we're gonna table it. Yeah, we're gonna we table got, it. We got it's a lot of hour. content that we can talk yeah. about. So uh let's just let's just wrap this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast right there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Again, if you could do us the favor of hitting that subscribe button, leaving us a rating and review, wander over to the YouTube channel. <laughs> And make sure that you've subscribed there, like a video, leave us a comment on this one and tell us what you think we were going to talk about that we cut from the run sheet tonight. Um, Love to hear your thoughts on that. And maybe, hey, we'll roll it into a future episode. We still have to go through and review all of our preseason predictions. We still have to talk about some of the stuff that's happening at the NCAA level. So we're going to get to all of that this football offseason because basketball is fully up and rolling. I sat down with Kirk Sarlos last week to talk about fall camp. I've got a feature coming out on Horn Frog Blitz on Wednesday. Based on that conversation, baseball is now in their fall, like their winter break between fall camp and and, and the start of the of the season. But uh, some really fun stuff going on there as well. 
we're going to have, we're going to have a lot to talk about here on the Frogs Insider podcast moving forward. Yeah. Thank you as always to our incredible sponsors. Um, check out Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods said they've, they've been doing some specials. I'm sure they've got more in store ahead of the Christmas holidays. It makes a great gift for the Horn Frog fan in your life. Um, and Home Field Apparel, of course, Frogs in 15 is our code. Um, listen, someone use our code. Like just use our code. Just check it out. Try it. This is a good time to save some money. Um, if you've got if you've got some uh some kids in your life making college decisions, it's a great way to uh surprise them with a Christmas gift, a little home field apparel, hoodie, or t-shirt. They're stocking, I'm sure will will make them happy as can be. Um, but we just appreciate their support. We appreciate the folks over at Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republican Football Network for allowing us to yammer on and on um every oh, week, yeah. uh, sometimes twice a week. Um, about all the great things uh, football in Texas and um, check out the other if you want to get bowl previews from schools that are playing in a bowl game there are a couple of those in the state of Texas um, but, but you know what there there aren't is there's not an SMU team playing in a New Year's Six um, so we've got that going for us and they lost us 34 to 17 I rankled some fans on Twitter I got lots of nasty replies for it but at the end of the day your best season in history ends with lost to TCU so tough scene yeah, tough scene. Tough scene tough for scene. those Mustangs. And yeah. uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I've said all of that already. We'll see you next time. Go Frogs. Frogs.